Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. So good, so good to be with you today, and what a beautiful morning we had, right? Uh, What a beautiful day. Uh, As I looked, as I was getting here this morning, the trees, uh, I I just couldn't think of a more beautiful day we've had in the valley, and so thanks God for that. Thanks God for that. Uh, It was a question that struck me, and I want to begin with the question this morning. You see it on the screen behind me. I I really won't forget it, because it was asked in, in such honesty, what does God want from me? Uh, Megan's question was real. It was real. And it caught me off guard. I was a, a really young youth pastor. I know I look young now. I was really young then. Um, the pastor jokes keep coming this morning, don't they? Still not funny. Okay. Uh, I was sitting in a Burger King, though, with a couple teenagers. Not a place that you expect to get into deep theological discussions. Uh, we were after school, hanging out. I, I promised to buy them cheeseburgers, so they came. And uh, I, I expected us to talk about school, life, Summer plans, those kind of surface things. But Megan had something else on her mind that day. Uh, She was a skeptic, and I really love this about her, because she was a skeptic, but she was still seeking. She didn't allow her skepticism to keep her from seeking truth, seeking the Lord. She didn't have a faith background. No one else in her family, as far as I knew, uh, had anything to do with the Lord. So as a teenager, um, she had questions, and she loved to ask them. Uh, sometimes I think she was just trying to watch me sweat, like ask the tough questions and see if I could square my way out of it. But I, I often believe that she was genuine. She was really seeking. And so on this particular day, this teenage girl and a group of her friends, she asked me this question, what does God want from me? I, I say I believe in him. I say I trust him to lead my life. Now, now what? I love that question. I think that question is so poignant because I'm not really sure how I answered that question. It's been 20 years now. But it's an important question because if nothing else, it communicates that God has expectations for us. Now, all of us have expectations for God. That's clear, right? We expect things from him. God help me. God heal me. God provide for me. God bless me. You may be the biggest skeptic in the room, but when the bottom falls out or in that moment of panic, you might cry out, God, help, right? We, we expect things from, from him, but how often do we think about God has expectations for us? What does God want from me? I wonder when the last time you asked yourself that question, and we believe that's such a poignant question. It's really what we're going to begin this new year asking. We've really built an entire series around that question to understand what are God's expectations for us. If you claim to have faith in him, no matter where you are, on, you may be brand new on your faith journey, you may have been following him for years and years. What does God expect? What does he want from me? 
I think, that's, I think that's a really important question. And so we've, we've shaped a series around one of the most important stories, one of the most memorable stories Jesus ever told in the Gospels. Uh, it's called the Parable of the Talents. You might be really familiar with it. You may not be. But it's a hard word, but such an important word that we've uh, built this series around it. And it really does center around that question, what does God want for me? We're calling the series the talents. So you may be really familiar with this story, maybe not, but, but let's look uh, at the spiritual truths represented here, not just for those 2,000 years ago that were originally hearing the story, but for us today. So Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. Um, we'll, we'll be here for the next couple weeks, but I would invite you, whether you're uh, accessing your YouVersion Bible app, uh, pay attention on the screen, but, but let's open the word together because I think this, even if you're familiar with the story, I want us to be uh, in the word together today um, asking the Lord to reveal his truth to us. We begin in verse 14 and Jesus says this again, it will be like, so this is a parable, right? This is an earthly story with a, with a heavenly meaning. Jesus says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, I think that word's really important, entrusted his wealth to them. He entrusts what he has to his servants. As we're about to read, he's going to entrust a specific amount, a different amount to each. But in this term, talents, uh, that we're calling our series talents, that term kind of originates in some of the older translations. The King James, the New King James, that they, would, they would say uh, uh, this amount of money was called a talent. But in other versions, even like we, I'm reading in the NIV, bags of gold, whatever version you have, understand the master is leaving this specific amount of money, of resources to each individual. Let's keep reading in verse 15. Uh, to one... To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag each, according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. He put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground. He hid his master's Money. I want to pause and I want to acknowledge a couple things. We're going to unpack the second half of this and the implications. But I want to acknowledge first uh, that the servants in Jesus' parable were given their talents. They were given. It was, it was a, a free gift. It was grace. Whatever they were given, it was grace. It wasn't deserved. It was a gift. So each, each servant received these talents by the grace of the master. It's why James, uh, that as we read that, that verse often, I reflect on it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And this parable really reflects that. The master is giving these. It's a gift that he's entrusting to them. So the first implication of this parable is clear. None of us have any means for, for boasting in our talents, for boasting of what we have. We didn't earn them. We can't really deserve them. It's grace given to us. And that's clear as you look at this, and secondly, there that the master trusts them with these gifts. Uh, Jesus is saying that God graciously entrusts his servants with certain skills and certain amount of power to use them. He gives us uh, certain abilities and certain capabilities. But the second thing to notice the first, the first is that the servants are given the talents, right? But the second thing to notice is that God values highly the gifts that he gives us. 
Consider the significant amount of money represented here. So scholars have debated different amounts. What was a talent, if that's the word you're using, in the, the King James, New King James, if this a bag of gold, what, what, did that, what amount did that signify as Jesus was saying it? And so a pretty conservative amount would say one talent was about $600,000. That's a chunk of, ch- I don't know how you're doing today. Six hundred. that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, so the point here is, yes, were the less talented servants given less. Would they have envied the more talented servants? Of course they would have. But, but don't miss that in reality, each servant received something of great value. Even if they felt like what they had was less valuable, what they had was valuable. And so don't undervalue what we've been given. Some might have been given more. Some might have been given less, but each are given much. Don't make any mistake, we, we are rich in the things of God. And so I want to point that out immediately as we unpack this story together. Okay, let's get into the implications of what's happening here in verse 19. Uh, Jesus continues. So after a long time, the master of those servants returned. He settled his accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. Look, I've gained five more. His master said, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with many things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. Look, I gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. And if you know the story, you know that what's about to happen is with the third servant is different. And it's important. It's so important. It's probably the reason that this parable was created. Yes, we're going to get into the implication of the first two. But by comparison, what this third servant does is so important that it's really the purpose of Jesus' story. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and Gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here is what belongs to you. This last servant's response is different, right? Not taking what he'd been been given and using it, right? But simply stashing it away. Hiding it away. Uh, fear, he, he, he mentions that word, I was afraid, right? right? So because of that, we, we, we now read how the master responds. And, and quite honestly, what we're about to read is a hard word. It should wake us up a little bit this morning on, on the first Sunday of the new year. But these are the words of Jesus. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Pause for a minute. He didn't lose the money. He didn't waste the money. He didn't create a Ponzi scheme and trick a bunch of people. And all he did was return exactly what the master had given him. And the master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? We should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that When I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you've heard this story before, if you're familiar with the story, you might be tempted like me to try, to try to make this story a little bit easier to stomach, a little more palatable, because hard words of Jesus are hard, and, and come on, it's early in the year, we don't, but, but I, I want to challenge us as a church family as we consider that question, what does God want from me? I think this story has a lot to say to us. Listen, this isn't only a story of money. Yes, absolutely. We can't refute the fact that this is a story about a master giving his servants money. What are they doing with the money they've been given? Of course. But it's more than that. This is a story of stewardship. God desires for us to be faithful stewards. And and in case you thought being faithful stewards is just a suggestion or a nice idea, look at the dramatic consequences The hardworking servants aren't just rewarded, but the lazy and faithless servant receives the ultimate punishment. This is a hard word. But listen, this story isn't really about God being hard or cruel. This is ultimately a story about urgency. And if you haven't heard anything I've said so far, I I want want you to to track with me for a minute because I'm very familiar with this story. I grew up in the church. I'm not an expert on the Bible by any means, but but I know many of the stories of Jesus. I know this story, but I don't think I've realized until this week how this story is ultimately about that word urgency. How do we know that? Well, let's consider uh, that one of the most dangerous things we can do with Scripture is just pull a story out and not consider its context. So let's consider the context of Matthew chapter 25. What's happening in and around this story? Well, most specifically, Jesus Jesus has has been kind of confronted by his disciples. They're asking him specific questions. Uh, if If you go to Matthew chapter 24, 23 and 24, you'll see specifically they're worried about the the end times what's to come and they have two questions on their heart the one is about this prophecy that we read throughout the old testament about the temple being destroyed so they're asking jesus when's that going to happen their second question though is they want to know what will the sign be that the son of man is about to return what will the sign be that the son of god is going to come back again one day and so, so what happens after that in Matthew 24 and 25 is Jesus' response to those two questions. So this is not just an, a story in obscurity. Jesus didn't just wander and, and say, oh, I'm going to start talking now. He's responding to a very specific question, right? And so in response to those two questions, Jesus is really answering the question, how should we live? Not, not, not what is the sign of the return, not when is the temple, but how should we live in response? How should we live in preparing for the coming of Christ? How should the coming of Christ impact how we live today? And that's why this is a story of urgency. How should we live as we prepare for Christ to return? And Jesus tells us this story. How should we live? Because Jesus is coming back, and we believe it could be soon. How should we live? And Jesus tells this story, acknowledging each of us have been given gifts and skills and abilities and resources. How will we be held responsible for how we use those things? 
throughout this series, we're going to um, dive into this focus. What does God require of us? What does he want from us? How does this story teach us about the urgency? Yeah, 2024, what does it speak to us as believers about the urgency that we should have? But as we begin this series today, I want us to think about something that we've all been given. But, but as we introduce this series, I don't want to focus on all the ways that we're different. We're going to get to talk about that in the weeks to come. Some of the ways that we've been given different gifts and different skills and different resources, that's important. But today, I really want to start by talking about something we all have, that we've all been given. In fact, we've really all been given the same. It's time. Time. Now, I'm not suggesting we all have the same amount of time left on this. I don't know. I guess if the Lord comes tomorrow, sure, we do, right? But, but, but think about it. We're different. We have different skills. We have different resources. Well, as the text implies, sure. But we all have time. We, we all have been given the same amount of time in each day, right? I, I, as much as we've tried, I don't know anyone in this room that has gained an extra hour in their day as compared to someone else. Every day has 24 hours. Time is the great equalizer. And so I want to begin this series today by talking about how we use our time. How do we use the time that we've been given? If this story is a story of urgency, if this story from the mouth of Jesus is teaching us how we should live as we prepare for his return, then the question is, how are we using our time, the time that has been entrusted to us? I love uh, the Apostle Paul's admonishment to the church. I have it on the screen behind me. It's, it's in Ephesus, uh, a book to uh, the Ephesians 5. It's, it's written to Ephesus. But I love these two short verses, verses 15 and 16. I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And then he says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. What is Paul talking about? He's writing to this church and he's talking to them about making the best use of their time. Is he talking about time management? Do they need to find a better calendar? Or No, what is he talking about? Well, there's three reasons that Paul understood the significance of time. The first was he knew what it was to consider each day his last. You talk about that phrase, seeing my life flash before my eyes. I don't know how many times that happened to Paul, but a lot. I mean, he had been... <laughs> He had been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned multiple times on death row. He knew what it was to consider that this might be his last day. So he understood something about urgency when it came to time. The second thing is Paul passionately believed Christ is coming back. He believed that with all his heart. And so that gave him a perspective to value time. But third, as he makes reference here, the time he lived in was rampant with sin. The days are evil, as he says. So this points back to Christ's return. Christ's return mattered that much more to him because he looked around at the evil around him. And it gave him urgency. Each day mattered that much more. I love, I love this passage in the message paraphrase. I don't have it on the screen. It's in the YouVersion uh, Bible app event we set up. But listen, listen, I love how uh, the, the paraphrase of these words. It says this, don't waste your time on useless work, on mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal 
This is the message. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Did you hear the last part of that? I love that paraphrase of Ephesians chapter 5. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Uh, Is there any more prophetic word that we could speak over the days in which we're living that these are desperate times? You may not have felt that desperate today, and that's cool. I'm not trying to talk you into that, but look around the world in which we're living. There's desperation everywhere. We're living in desperate times. So as I hear these words, I think of Paul's instructions, yeah, to a church in Ephesus, but to us, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Another translation of Ephesians 5.16 says, making the most of every opportunity. Well, in this new year, as we consider the implications of this text, what does that mean for us? To make the most of what we've been given. What does it mean for us to make the most of every chance that we've been given, the time that we've received? I've shared many times how I live my life in a hurry, far too much. Uh, I've got a lot of kids. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. I get that. But far too many times in my life I'm in a hurry, and it never produces good fruit. (laughs) As much as I could get to the end of the day and feel like I was efficient, there's always mistakes. There's always things I lose. There's always disruption from being in a hurry, and I I spend far too many times not being truly present where I am. And my guess is many of you today would describe your life as busy. I used to think that if I ever got to retire, I'm not sure if I I will, I'll get to, whatever. I used to think that if I retire, then I won't be busy. But I've been talking to retired people in our church. They're busier than anybody. So I don't even have hope for that one day. Some of you that are retired, you're like, yeah, yeah, right? The grandkids find out and the kids, they all come like, yeah, you're retired, right? You've got all the time. So I've given up on a life that's not going to be busy. I just feel like that's the reality of many of you today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. We're all busy all the time. And I'm not making light of that. I'm not making you feel guilty for that. In fact, the worst thing that you could hear today, you might be coming and hearing this message and thinking that the message I want you to hear today is do more. Listen, the parable of the talents means do more. You've been given time, do more. And you're leaving like, oh, seven days into the year, I'm already exhausted. And so listen, that's not the message. The parable of the talents isn't do more, (laughs) Jesus is coming back, do more. The message is not about achieving more, doing more, but I believe obeying more, loving more, making the master's will your will. In fact, as I place myself within the story, what I do with the gift of the time the master has given me, right? Because it's been entrusted. It's a gift. My next breath is a gift, James says our our life is like a mist. It's here, and and I don't have to convince you of that. You see it. You've lived it. There's people in your life, they are not here anymore, right? Life is like a mist. And so if that's true, and the time that we've been given is a gift entrusted to us, I think one of the worst investments of time that we could make is just do more. We're busy enough. You're busy enough. You're in a hurry already. One of the worst investments of time you can make this year is just to commit, I'm going to do more. That's a mistake, I think. 
The Lord knows we're already in a hurry far too much. But for me, as I apply these truths to my life, I think of the ways that I can leverage time that I have to better love, to better listen, to better be present with those around me. One of the best ways for me to utilize my time in this new year is not being more efficient, accomplishing more. I love goals. I believe in all that stuff, right? But for me, one of the best ways for me to utilize the gift of time that I've been entrusted with is in regards to relationships and investing in those, caring about those. I love people. I really do. But, but am I the only one in the room that, that would have the courage to admit that sometimes people are an interruption to what I need to get done? Don't look at me like that, okay? <laughs> Just being honest. Sometimes we feel that way. No one in this room has been an interruption to me, by the way. That's other people. Uh, but we have our list. We have the things that we want to get done. And sometimes people get in the way of that. So for me, as I think about what it means to invest my time well in this year, it's, it's to consider that perhaps the people that God places in front of me are not an interruption at all. A divine appointment, an opportunity for me to invest well the resources of time that I've been given. I have a friend who has this message, a post-it note on his computer, there's no such thing as an interruption. Oh Lord, help me this new year. <laughs> Help me through the urgency of your word to believe that more and more. There's no such thing as an interruption. Not in your kingdom. Not when I'm living according in step with your spirit, God. I found uh, interesting in doing some reading in preparation. I found an an article uh, written, Christian author, his name is Monty Unger. 50 years ago he wrote this. I'm going to read several paragraphs. But I, I found it really insightful and I think you will too. I found it interesting that 50 years ago... He wrote this, and there's a lot in our world that's changed in 50 years, but I think the truths of what he talks about, about how not seeing people in our lives as interruptions, I I think it's sound truth, godly truth for us today. Listen as he writes. How often have you talked with someone on the phone who seemed to be in a hurry and wanted to get on with a more important business? Or you visited with someone on the street, received that same hurried feeling, you've undoubtedly experienced it and you didn't enjoy it. Perhaps you've also been guilty of this. If you have, why not decide to tithe time or or to save up chunks and bits and pieces of it to give it away to people who interrupt your plans? Such an interesting idea as he goes on to say. It is a great principle of love that people don't interrupt. I'm going to say that again because this is challenging me. It is a great principle of love that people don't interrupt. Not really. Perhaps there shouldn't even be such a word as interrupt for when people come into your existence, even for a brief time, that is a wonderful moment of experience for both you and them. Relish it, probe it, invest some of the time that you have. We can't afford to indulge in the luxury of being too busy and important for another person. We have time for such things as the mail and uh, shopping and television programs that start at a specific time. But what about people, relationships with people? Isn't that a great deal of what life is really about, loving Other people, remember Jesus, how he raced about, hurrying from one sitter to another, collecting crowds on the way to give them a few minutes of hurried heaven data, then dashing on to the next place. No, that's not the picture of Jesus that the New Testament gives, is it? He had time for people. 
In a crowd, a woman touched his robe. Lots of people were pushing against him. But he discerned the urgency in this particular touch, so he stopped taking valuable time for this quote-unquote interruption. His disciples were full of fire and computer-like efficiency. They wanted to get on with the task to get something done, even if they didn't always know what that something was. Once a bunch of small, grimy-faced kids came along and wanted to climb on the master's lap. Get those kids out of here, thought the disciples, with their goal-oriented way of thinking. No, let them stay, Jesus said. Let's enjoy them. Let them enjoy being with us thought the true goal-oriented man from heaven who knew and expressed the great worth of the individual. He closes by saying this, the next time a person interrupts you, think not of your work and your deadlines, rather think of that person's needs, of his or her covert compliment in desiring to spend a few moments with you. Your meeting may be a significant point in each of your lives because it's an encounter with another person God has created. You may impart something crucial or that person to you. Paul prayed, may God who gives patience, steadiness, and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ towards the other. Ah, this challenged me. It's challenged me to think of, uh, of the people in my life, I don't think of them as interruptions, but to invest differently, invest my time differently. It may mean a few of the deadlines don't quite get done as efficiently as I would like, but it may mean, it will mean that I invest in relationships much differently. How about you? How about you? When we pray, the psalmist prayed in Psalm 90, teach us, Lord, to number our days. What does that look like for you in your life right now? You may feel young. You may feel old. None of us really know how much time that we've been given, but we know we've been entrusted with a gift. The question is, will we, with urgency, like the master teaches us, invest those things? Uh, today, the, the bottom line I want you to consider today, I want you to live like the time you have is truly a gift. Because it is. It is. If we haven't learned anything else in recent years, haven't we learned that the time we have is a gift? Haven't we learned that we don't really know what to expect? Haven't we learned that we can't really predict what's coming? I'm not saying that to put fear in you. I'm just being real and honest. We don't know. We don't. To live with this kind of audacious expectation, I know how much time I... No, you don't. No, we don't. So let's, instead of that letting you be fearful or anxious, instead, let's choose to invest the time that we've... The gift that we've been given. Let's invest it well. And I don't know everything that's going to mean for you, but I know that it starts with the urgency that Jesus spoke about. In his word, the band's going to come and they're going to help us close our time together. I'm inviting you today uh, into a kingdom perspective. A kingdom perspective. What does God want from me? What does God want from you? My time. One moment at a time. One day at a time. Not a message of do more, do more. You go home beat up, worn out, exhausted. Instead, 
How can we leverage the time that we've been given? How can we make sure that we don't miss? There's no invisible people. We talked about that during Christmas, right? Story of Christmas teaches us there's no invisible people, not to God. And so, so what does that mean in your life to invest well the time that you've been given? Would you stand now as we pray and worship together? God, uh, come meet us today where we are, not where we pretend to be. Nobody in this room has to have it all together. No one in this room has to have it all figured out, Lord. We're all on a journey and we're trusting, but today we acknowledge the gift that you've given us. Many gifts, Lord, but specifically the breath in our lungs. The next breath we breathe is a gift. This day we've been given is a gift. Lord, if you wanted to be done, I believe... With any of us here today, you could be. But we're still here, God. Thank you for that gift. And so I pray in this new year, we would live like each day, each moment, each, the time that we've been given is a gift because it has been, Lord. And so transform us, Lord. Transform our mindset. Transform our attitude. Transform our, our heart as we navigate in the days ahead. I, I just pray that you would show us, Lord. Show us how to steward our time well. Show us how to live with urgency, Lord, because we do believe, we do believe that you're coming back again. And whether that's tomorrow, whether that's this year, whether that's in the days to come, Lord, we want to steward well the time, the gift that you've given us. Meet with us now, Lord, as we call upon you, as we worship, as we pray. Would you come and be near to us in Jesus' name? Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.